With the big games starting in just a matter of days, it's a great time to take a look and see just how well athletics are doing in Canada. With representation in most of the events from the 100 meter dash to the 50 kilometer racewalk, there's no shortage of Canucks to cheer on as they take on the world in Rio de Janeiro. On this week's show, I put together some excerpts from some Olympians that I got to talk to since last year at this time. You'll hear from athletes like Anthony Romanu, Charles Philibert, Thibodeau, Gabriella Stafford, and many more. Don't go anywhere, you're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. To kick things off, we'll go back to August of last year. Gabriella Stafford had just won the silver medal at the FISU Games, International Games for University Students in the 1500. She sat down with the show to chat about her club, the University of Toronto Track Club, as well you'll hear her mention even back then that she had her eyes on the Olympics. She'll be racing that event for Team Canada in about a week and a bit. You you raise a lot of good points there, and on the topic of your Toronto club, both your club and your university team have seen a ton of success recently. Uh, I mean, like with your CIS indoor banner coming your way this year, of the team banner, and as you've mentioned before, the rise of Sasha Gaulish, uh, you know, Rachel Hanna also does some stuff there. I understand a little in the, in the off times and stuff. Uh, <laughs> but she also had a very strong showing at Pan Ams. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's just been, uh, you know, a really exciting club to watch and an exciting university t- team to watch as well. If you had to guess, what would you say is making U of T so successful right now? Yeah, thanks. Like, I honestly think, and I'm not being biased here because I was looking elsewhere. I, I honestly think the middle distance program at U of T is one of the best, if not the best program in North America right now. You know, like we have 11 girls running under 210 for 800 and a handful more like hovering around that barrier. And, you know, this this group extends from high school to university um, to post, like, you know, post-collegiate. Um, and I think, and I don't need to guess about why we're so successful. You know, the coaches at U of T are super development focused and they treat each athlete individually. You know, I've been with Terry since grade 10 um, and I've, he's transformed me from a 509, 1500 meter runner to a 407, 1500 meter runner. Um, Like in a matter of like, I guess four, four years, four or five years. Um, You know, and that's because every year, you know, we don't, we don't overtrain here. Every year we just add on a little bit more. We do like a couple things differently. They're always focused about your development and making sure that you're not overtraining so that every year you can build and get faster and faster. And that's the way to do it, you know. Um, and that's why you see, you know, that's why I've PB'd every year because um, they're really they're really interested in making sure that they don't rush things um, and that they're cautious and that, you know, they develop me and train me so that I'm not running my fastest in high school or university. I'm running my fastest, you know, after university, like four years from now. Um, and that I can stay there for a good amount of time. You know, I want to have a long, healthy career. So I think this development-focused way that they look at training is why we're so successful. Yeah, they figure what's best for you. Like, that's the core of their training philosophy. And you develop a really close relationship with the coaches and the other athletes, which is super important, you know, like Terry's like a second dad to me almost. And how always having me at him at my back is awesome. Um, and it's also a really inspiring atmosphere. Uh, you know, I've grown so much in this program and, you know, they really, they really teach you to just 
like dream limitless, limitlessly, you know, um, I never, when I was in grade 10 and just starting out, I never thought that I'd ever be on a national team. And I've just learned as I've grown there that, you know, you know, I can dream bigger. I can always like go bigger and like, you know, why not try? And that kind of atmosphere to be a part of, it's just, it's such an awesome and healthy place to live, study and train. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's why we're so successful right now. Well, looking ahead to the next 12 months, they could be potentially very important to your career. Uh, as you mentioned, you've improved every year. What are the big goals for this next year? Um, it's really scary to say it out loud, but Rio 2016, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, they say if, dream, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. So <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. What's, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I'm on the door to standard running, I ran 407 and, you know, I PB by at least five seconds over 1500 meters every year. So uh yeah i'm just gonna go for it at last year's world championships in beijing canada surprised a lot of other nations with a solid medal haul one athlete who did his part was ben thorne he's a race walker who took home the bronze medal in the 20 kilometer race walk we caught up with him just after that where we talked about the state of canadian race walk and some hecklers as well he'll be doing that same event at the olympics this year your training group race walk west has uh really been having a great summer with your training partners evan dunphy uh, and, and Aki Gomez taking home gold and silver at the Pan Ams. Talk to me about, uh, you know, how training with that group has affected your own racing. It's amazing really to have such a good group. Um, this year, particularly in the few weeks before Worlds, me and Anaki were training together a lot, and that was really valuable, I think, because sometimes I have uh, difficulty keeping my motivation up. And Anaki is really self-disciplined, and training with him was definitely a big boost. Uh, also, we all uh, trained together in Switzerland, Samaritz, for a few weeks early in the season, and that was a great camp. It was a lot of fun. So hopefully we'll be able to do it for many seasons to come. Given that the uh, the person that you took the 20-kilometer race walk Canadian record from was Evan, do you think that we can expect to to see that record fall a few more times in the next few years? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, to be honest, we all trade off um, in training sessions. I feel like we're all really equal in the um, in the ability category. And seeing as how Evan originally took it from Anaki and I took it from Evan, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the other two t- takes it from me um, again. I mean, I'm almost 100% certain one of us is going to lower my record again next year, whether that's me or whether that's one of the other guys, I'm not sure. But um, going into the Olympics, I mean, we'll all be taking training really seriously, so I'm pretty sure it'll get lowered next year. (laughs) I I read a story about how you came fairly close to uh, a grizzly bear on one of your training walks. Now, I'm assuming this was while you were up in northern uh, BC, where you grew up. Now, what's the, what's the strangest thing that you've seen, you know, training in your current home of Vancouver? <laughs> I was thinking about an answer to this question, and um, having some, some trouble. I mean, in terms of wildlife, Vancouver, the biggest thing you pretty much see is raccoons. Um, and given that we're race walkers, we're usually the strangest thing on the road. So, um, 
Yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, kind of on that topic, I mean, as a runner, I constantly get the uh, run, forest run, and, you know, those sorts of hecklers and stuff. Oh, what kind of heckles do you get as a race walker? Um, let me think. I think the most creative one I've heard is, uh, would you like fries with that shake? <laughs> or because we shake our hips back and forth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can't think of any others right now. I don't really want to think of any others right now, but they can be quite, quite creative. <laughs> Chris Winter is a man of a few different events. Last year, he was on the show as the reigning Canadian cross-country champ heading into that year's event happening in Kingston. Of course, the 3,000-meter steeplechase is his bread-and-butter event for which he'll be heading to Rio for this year. So, uh, switching over to, you know, your main focus, as you said, uh, the 3,000 steeple. I mean, right now, the steeple field in Canada seems, like, super deep with uh, two guys going under 820 this year and four, you know, maybe five guys who could, uh, you know, get that Olympic qualifier. How do you feel about the overall depth of the 3,000 steeple in Canada right now? Yeah, it's uh, pretty intense. Uh, you know, it's great, and that's what obviously what led to, you know, this this depth. Uh, you know, is that the competition spurs people on and you know gets you thinking that you can do things that maybe you wouldn't normally be, uh, you know, thinking about. So the goal no longer is to run, you know, under eight thirty or run the Olympic standard. The, you know, the bar has been set really high by guys like Matthews and Taylor and Alex, and you know, the goal is really to run under eight twenty if you want to have a shot of going to the Olympics in Rio. So. Uh, I know I've, I've had a look and seen you know, in the history of Canada since like basically the beginning of the modern Olympics and Canada's only ever sent uh, a maximum of one people chaser in any of the other previous Olympics. So to be sitting there looking right now, we've got four guys with the qualifying standard. And like you said, maybe five by, you know, by the time we get to Edmonton in July, uh, you know, it's, it's really a, a testament to the depth of uh, distance running in Canada right now. And it's, it's really exciting and it's going to make for some uh, great television nervous moments come, uh, come July. So 2015, it's been a huge year for you, you know, scoring that PB and Olympic qualifying in the steeple. You know, how how do you follow that up in 2016? There's really only one way to do that, and that's, uh, you know, to try to make the team and, or make the team and go to Rio. That's really my sole purpose of still kind of being in the sport. I, I you know, I, I continue to love it and love competing and stuff, but, uh, you know, I really, what drives me is to try to make the, the Olympic game, so... That'll keep me motivated for sure. Uh, it'll, yeah, it'll be a pretty exciting year leading up to that. Charles Philibert Thibodeau, or CPT, has captivated Canadian track fans for a few years now with his meteoric rise, his charisma, and his truly never-say-die attitude. He got his very own show in February where, amongst other things, we talked about his never-say-no approach to getting into big races and his 2016 plan. He'll be running in the 1500 at the Rio Games. Same topic, you know, I was talking to your agent, Chris McCashew, uh, last year in an interview, and it might have been off the record, or or maybe he he did say it in the interview, but he said that, you know, you're a guy who won't take no for an answer. if I remember correctly, that was in reference to uh, you racing the Dream Mile at Oslo. It, what's what's the story about that? And, uh, you know, how did you get added to that race? Oh, well, uh, I've put a lot of pressure on Chris in the last summer because, uh, I mean, for, for reasons like that. Uh, because I just show up in Oslo and then the guys are like, okay, we got the start list for the Dream Mile. And there's 12, 12 guys, including two rabbits. And which is not not a big field for a dynamic race. And they're like, we're going to put you in the B 1500 meters. Uh, if someone drops out, we'll put you in. And I assure you for like all, all day before the day of the race, I was texting Chris being like, 
come on, man, keep pushing. Like they're on, they're, there's going to be only 10 finishers. That's not a lot. You could add me. And then just, just pushing like this and like, mm -hmm. uh, on the rear end of Chris and he was like, I know, man, I know, like, let me do my job. And that's, I can, I think that's, that's kind of what he meant by, I won't take no as an, uh, as an answer. And maybe another example would be when, uh, I was in uh, Quebec a few days before going to Monaco and I got the reason I got into Monaco is because I got denied in Houston uh, in the race in Belgium, hmm. and I, I I had that race on my calendar for months, and I was like, Chris, I'm in the best shape of my life. There's no way I'm not gonna race this weekend. Like, find me a race. I don't care where it is in the world. Just find me a race when I'm gonna race because uh, I was supposed to run really fast in Houston, and now, I, like. I need to go to Europe and race somewhere and unlikely I got into Monaco and that's the story of how I got into Monaco. It's because in a sense, I, I didn't take no as an answer, I didn't, I didn't take the no, you're not going to race out, out there. I was like, okay, well, find something else. <laughs> so I was, I, w I was putting a lot of pressure on Chris through the summer for sure. Quite a few events happening this year, including uh, World Indoors, uh, the Olympics, I, I know you, you want to keep a, a certain amount of this, uh, you know, close to your chest, but what are the big plans for the year looking like right now? Uh, this year, I'm just going to do a short indoor season. Uh, I'm going to race uh, 3K out west uh, pretty soon. And uh, after a warm weather training camp in San Diego in, in the beginning of February, I'm going to I'm gonna do some uh, races out east, uh, either in Boston or New York. I don't know yet. And uh, I'm going to take a, a little break after that in mid-February um, and then do a, a build-up uh, leading to a, a, big, a big training camp in Flagstaff. So this year I'm going to stay in Flagstaff uh, seven weeks rather than uh, three and a half weeks. So that's going to be a big difference. I'm going to head there mid-March. And uh, hopefully uh, I'd like to uh, go back to Europe uh, again, before Canadian Championships to hit some fast times. Um, that would be in the beginning of June, I believe. Um, hopefully, I can make it into some Diamond Links and stuff, but you never really know in advance unless you're like Isabel Kiprop or Mo Farah. <laughs> so I'm just going to lay it up there this way. And um, yeah, I hope I can get another fast race uh, in Europe between Canadian Championships and the Olympics as a, as a tune-up. Um, I'm eyeing on the either Monaco or Houston, something like that. And then, uh, well, all, all this year's training is geared towards uh, peaking at the Olympics. Uh, unlike maybe last year where I peaked in the July for Pan Ams and Monaco and then I was a bit banged up for uh, Worlds, this year's going to be really geared towards the Olympic more than anything. You know, I can honestly say that there are few bigger characters than Taylor Milne. He's been in the sport for a while now, already with an Olympic appearance in 2008 in the 1500 meters. Now he's a steepler, and he shared a few thoughts with me on his future indoor steeplechase, and there's a really great story with a few marathoner friends. You should look forward to what he does in just a few weeks. Working towards the, uh, the Rio Olympics this year, you know, at 34, that's considered to be kind of older for a middle distance runner. Uh, you know, what are the plans after 2016? Uh, yeah, we don't know yet. Um, 
as of right now, I I see it being my last year. Um, I, I don't see me continuing after this year, but you just never know. But um, I'm doing a lot more coaching um, with some local roadrunners, and I do some of the strengths for the post-collegiate group here with Speed River. Um, I mentor under our strength coach um, who's out in San Diego, so I just kind of oversee it. He delivers the programs, and I just oversee it and make sure, and I just learning from him and trying to read a lot and bone up my knowledge on that. And then I do the core stuff for the varsity team, and I coach three or four university girl aged girls that aren't on the university team. They just run here in town. Mm. So I'm just doing a lot of that, um, and that's what I enjoy. So I want to stay in the sport in whatever capacity will allow me to pay the bills and eat dinner and whatnot. Um, there's not a ton of um, high-paying jobs in the sport, which I'm okay with, but, uh, yeah, you got to make a living, right? So, I mean, if something goes really special this year and my sponsor wants to keep me on for another year and I want to get carded again, I mean, I, it's possible to do another year, but uh, I'm ready. If uh, this is the last year, I'm ready for that. Um, so I'm prepared for that, and... Uh, I live a pretty um, laid-back lifestyle. I don't spend money. Like, I don't do a lot. I don't have any, like, things. So mm. I've managed over the years to just kind of put away and stuff. So I'm not going to have to cross the line in Rio and start sending out resumes the next day. Um, ideally, for me, if I could work with Speed River or the University of Guelph, that's where my heart is kind of at. And... uh if we can find a position there, but, uh, I'm definitely not going to have to start hitting the pavement right away. So hmm. we'll, we'll kind of let it settle into place. I've always been kind of a believer that things just work themselves out. You know, if you work hard and you're nice to people and stuff, you usually, things usually work out. So at this point, there's, there's really no such thing as the indoor steeple and there probably never will be, uh, you know, with some obvious logistical problems on a 200 meter track. Uh, if you were tasked with coming up with the setup of an indoor steeplechase, uh, you know, how would it look, you know, as far as jumps per lap go and stuff? Huh. Um, that one's, I have talked about this with somebody. I can't really remember. I know they did a woman's one down in the New Balance Games the one year or two years. Uh, yeah, you can't put a water pit in there, I guess, because you'd have to cut a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd put a barrier on each straightaway and then just spray people in the face with a hose on each corner. It's not quite jumping in the water, but it'll just distract you a bit, maybe cause you to fall down or something you know you roomed together with rob watson back when he was uh in guelph if i'm not mistaken and i'm pretty sure yeah. i remember reading a story on uh Le blog de rob uh that one's going back a little bit before the uh the <laughs> rob watson show about you uh racing a drunk on a street in front of a bar who didn't think that you could beat him uh you know mind you that was a few years ago now do you still partake in the occasional street race or or is that something that you leave to the uh taylor milne of the past Oh no! If a drunk wants to challenge me, I'll race them. Um, I think I think what happened. I can't, I don't remember the exact details. We were um, at a pub in uh, in Guelph. Myself, Rob, and I believe Lanny Marshall was there for the weekend. Um, and we were just having some drinks, and then 
Rob was telling the guy I made it to the Olympics and then the guy didn't believe him. And so we were like, yeah, yeah, it's true. And then he thought he could beat me in a race. And I think Rob was like, ah, you couldn't beat him. You couldn't even beat me. <laughs> um, and yeah, before we knew we were out in the parking lot, <laughs> um, about to have a hundred meter race. Um, I think we we're going to let Rob race him, but then we were a little worried about Rob's wheels. So just in case <laughs> I, uh, I, I took over just to make sure we got the victory. Um, Rob's a great runner, but not the not the fastest dude in the world. So wanted to make sure we got the win. Um, it was kind of funny, actually. I just thought I'd get out really hard, and just this guy didn't really know what was going on. So I did. I put down like 20 meters really fast, and I was about 15 meters ahead of the guy. <laughs> so at that point, I just assumed him being drunk, and I thought he would just kind of go away. So I just kind of like jogged it out, and then I looked with about 10 meters to go, and he was still trying as hard as he could. And he was actually coming back up on me. So his friends actually thought he he did pretty well. Um, what they didn't notice is that I was jogging the last 120 meters because I assumed he would give up. But to his credit, he, he went right to the line. It was kind of funny. We chatted with Luke Bruchet earlier this year. He was pretty bummed about not making the 10,000 meter standard. Well, he turned it around and earned his way to the Olympics in the 5,000 by not giving up and training very, very hard. Listen to his plan here. You ran Peyton Jordan a couple weeks ago, you know, just taking a look at your Twitter account. Uh, it looks like you're kind of disappointed with it. Uh, you ended up running a, a 2845.81 yeah. uh, 10,000 meter. You know, going in, it definitely looked like you you had your eyes on on twenty eight flat or perhaps more accurately uh, twenty seven high. How close do you feel like you are to that number? And you know, I guess looking back, what do you think went wrong at Peyton? Uh, I think you know I'm not I'm not too sure how close I am. I definitely thought I was in you know somewhere between twenty seven fifty and twenty eight ten shape, um, but I'm just going off what Rich, what Rich tells what he told me. And, you know, he's not one to usually uh, indicate or predict a time. But, but when he does, you know, I think every time he's told me a time, he's within a couple seconds of it. So when he said uh, he thought I was in 28-minute shape, then I definitely had thought I, was, um, thought I was in that sort of shape. It's hard to tell when you're up at altitude and you're doing, you know, all your harder sessions um, at elevation you're not quite running as fast as you would at sea level. Hmm. So it's definitely harder to take away from that. But I mean, all the sessions I was doing um, in Sedona, which is where we did all of our hard track sessions, I was running just as quick as I was back home, you know, give or take, you know, a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think for, for myself, though, going into that race, I knew that I needed it to be, you know, I needed to, it needed to be, everything needed to be perfect. I wasn't going in, you know, like Cam or Mo, where I was a 27 minute, 27:30 guy, and I had some leeway um, to kind of muck around for a bit. I needed to hit the perfect race to hit it. It could have been a little warm for the race. You know, it was probably closer to 20 degrees rather than 15, but that's not making up 45 seconds. Maybe you know a few a few seconds here or there. It just it just wasn't my day and. Uh, you know, I think uh, maybe I was at altitude a little longer. I was there a little longer than some of the other athletes that were with the Athletics Canada camp. And I think it's it's tough to battle. You know, fatigue accumulates there after four or five weeks, and that could have played a factor as well. 
Uh, it's hard to say. I definitely still think that I'm in somewhere around 28, 28 minutes. Um, it's unfortunate. I'm, I'm not going to take another chance at it, but putting all those eggs in the 5K basket now, and hopefully I'll get a few good cracks of that. Well, yeah, I, I want to ask you about that because you have you have a PB that is, you know, it's in the 5,000. That's pretty close to the Olympic standard, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, with, with your current fitness and stuff like that, how close do you feel that you would be, you know, to that Olympic standard now with your 5,000? Uh, I think I'm pretty close to it, if not maybe under. Um, it's, it's Again, it's hard to say you're just going off workouts, but I'd, I've definitely, you know, from December on to now, I've had the best, probably the best stretch of training I've ever put in. You know, no injuries, nothing like that. Done some good indoor races. Uh, it's just a matter of finding uh, the right opportunity, and, and hopefully I'll have uh, a few chances this year. I'll be down at uh, the Oxy High Performance Meet in about 10 days, and then I'll probably run the Portland. That'll be the next 5K, the Portland Track Festival, and hopefully you know, one of those races will give me the opportunity to run the, the Olympic standard. Andrea Sakafian is a runner who really came into her own this season, laying down a huge PB in the 5,000 to qualify her for the grandest of all stages. And no, we're not talking about WrestleMania. As you can hear here, she's quick to praise the amazing field of great Canadians she was running with, though. You know, really deep fields as far as the women's 5,000 goes. Uh, pretty much all the women's middle distances is really, really great this year. But only yourself and Jess O'Connell with the OQ so far. Who will you be watching for over the next month to uh, to maybe dip under that Olympic qualifier mark? Uh, my training partner, Sasha. <laughs> um, we have done everything together. She was primarily training for the 5K up until like a week before Oxy. So she is in great shape. We have done exactly the same workouts. Like we do everything together. So, I mean, there's no reason why she's not in similar shape to me. Uh, so she's going to have another crack at it, I think in Portland or maybe in Boston. I'm not really sure what her plan is actually. And then I don't know, like I, I'm not really counting anyone out. Like Rachel Cliff might do it. Um, I don't know. You never know. Like, I don't think anyone would have thought that I would hit the standard. So like crazy things happen in the Olympic year. Uh, there's a really uh, great gif of you on Twitter uh, where yeah. Nicole Sofuentes greets you on the track after, you know, your really big race looking almost as happy as you are. You know, is that indicative of, you know, how things are in track right now, you know, despite all the ultra competitiveness? Oh, my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Like, I pretty much talked to like every Canadian at Oxy after the race. And I remember seeing, like, Kay Van Buskirk just, like, freaking out with, like, I don't know if it was 200 or 600 to go. Um, you know, all the Speed River people were super excited. It's just, like, I think when we go to those races, it's not really, like, us against us. It's just, like, we're all there. We're, we're all trying to, like, achieve the same thing. So it's just it's a little bit easier to be, like, a community. <laughs> I think for sure. And, you know, I kind of want to know, does that sort of depth of field have any sort of, uh, you know, impact or effect on your own performances? Um, yeah, for sure. Like that was a really good field. Um, and I knew it was, I like looked through it. There's a lot of women with like 15, 20 PBs and obviously like Rachel Cliff was in there and Natasha Wodak, who was going for her own proof of fitness. 
So, yeah, it was definitely really helpful to have a good field like that and to also have other Canadians to kind of, like, keep an eye on. Anthony Romanu knew what he needed to do to get to the Olympics, and, well, he executed well. For a few years now, he's been one of Canada's favorite 800-meter runners, and in this clip, he talks about his club, Speed River, and the future of the 800-meter in Canada. You know, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, your coach and your team at Speed River and, and Dave Scott Thomas is uh, mostly known for, I guess you could say, distance guys. I'd say probably uh, steeplechasing up. How do you feel that you fit in with that group, and, and you know how has it affected your training being in Guelph with, with all those you know distance studs? In the fall, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, there's never a lack of uh, any anyone to do like long stuff with, and the group is just from post collegiate to the varsity guys. It's just rolling every day, so it's it's kind of it's really fun. You know, you never have to do any work. Um, uh, the fact that it's when when I first decided to come to Guelph, um, I knew that. Other groups had more of a history with middle, like with 800 specific, because Dave had Dave had had success in the 15 um, with Taylor and Kyle Borsma. But um, I I knew, and we talked about that right off the. I was just like, you know, can you talk to me, speak to me a little bit about like the fact that you know you've never really taken a guy down to cl like close to Olympic standard in the uh, in the eight and. And, you know, I was listening to him, and Dave's a really smart guy, and he can speak the sport really well. And I just decided that he was going to find out um, exactly what it took to coach a high elite level 800 guy. And, I mean, it just it just was a gut feeling, but I, I honestly felt like he wasn't going to stop until he figured it out. And among many things, that's one of the things that he's kind of lived up to his promise on his promises on is that you know every year we've made adjustments and um we've we've sort of i think honestly found the the, the best way for me to get down to a 144 and I, like we it's just been working out really well and the fact the fact is that like you know i don't have like a taylor Milne to chase in the 800 in our group but um it's been fun kind of seeing the 800 group uh, like grow a little bit. We got like Tommy Lands now. And we got some good recruits coming, and every year there's been guys just like trying to make CIs and medal at CIs and stuff. And in in a way, that's like that's just as fun. Like having having some younger guys to sort of I, I don't want to say mentor or whatever, but just help along and give them some advice. And and it's been fun seeing Tommy improve uh, over the last couple of years. So um, honestly, the environment is. With you know, with Janae and Reed and Gillis, even though and Taylor, like they're not in my event, it's I've benefited a lot from just having them there, and I kind of feel like um, it's it's sort of up to me to be like the guy who makes this the 800 mark in First Speed River, so we can have like right across the board from 800 up to the marathon uh, a history of success. So I'm kind of hoping I can go to the Olympics this year, and then and then Speed River will be known for for every every event and, and and I honestly feel like it deserves that recognition cuz cuz Dave has done a great job with me so so you know looking ahead to uh, to 2020 you've already mentioned quite a few names and stuff I'm I'm just wondering who are some of the some of the up and comers maybe not this time around but maybe uh you know for future world championships for future Pan Am games Commonwealth games you know future Olympic games after this next one who who are you looking at to uh, to really make a splash in the distance I mean, 
definitely happens to Bell. Uh, but he's only a freshman, so he's still a junior. I think. I think obviously, if he doesn't make the team this year, he will definitely be on the world junior team. Um, and and you know, I, I'm not a, a huge follower of uh, younger athletes, um, and and it's kind of hard. It's sometimes hard to remember like how old everyone is, but. Mm. Um, He's he's sort of the standout right now in terms of like the young guys. I I, I feel like I don't know the Offsa uh, championships as well as I used to. Obviously, I remember um, watching Heppenstall last year uh, run in some of those London meets uh, where you know I was doing some announcing work and just watching him was just you know it was fantastic because you you know that he was you know he really was like a step ahead of everybody else so you know i can definitely accept that answer because like the guy is just a monster and the at the 800 yeah yeah he's he got a, he's a natural runner that's that's kind of what i've decided with him is i'm not sure exactly how if he has like a, a huge gas tank or if he's even like really speedy um necessarily but uh watching him run He's just a very smooth runner. It seems like he was sort of made to do it. Like, and I and I and not to take away from myself, but I just I feel like I'm a good athlete. But but I'm probably not a natural runner. I'm, I kind of have shorter legs and I'm a little bit stockier, you know. And, and that's that's fine. It's worked for me. But um, and and I'm not making excuses at all. But when you watch him, he's he's just like. He's very strong in all the right ways, and he's very light on his feet, and he's just like kind of a graceful-looking runner, and he doesn't tie up too much. Uh, it seems like he, it seems like he's got things kind of working for him in exactly the way that you would want it for a runner. So, I could see him if he's if he's well managed, well coached, and um, he handles you know the the college and just like all the different kind of complexities of going through twenties and stuff. I, I feel like. Um, he's going to be a, a huge talent, and, and probably probably on the level of, of a McBride, um, going into like his NCAA career, uh, I could see him running 144, 145s um, very soon. So uh, that's definitely the guy I'd, I'd have to think about. And I, honestly, um, I feel like everyone's kind of younger than me these days. So so uh, you know, I still feel like Corey and, and Alex. And like Tommy Land and Sasha and stuff, I, I I am almost certain that they're all younger than me. So um, those to me are like the young guys, and I, I still think that all of them have a have a bright future. So I'd be curious to see how how they all develop going in. And of course, McBride's already he's younger than me as well. So <laughs> it's uh it's it's there's a lot of young guys in the sport. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Huge thanks to all the athletes on this show, and I wish all the luck in the world to the Canadian athletes competing at the Olympic Games. Thanks also to Tracky for their ongoing support, and to you for listening. Be sure to find us on Twitter at the Terminal Mile, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Mm-hmm.